In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. I'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio. A 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. We give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because Everytown... No matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, a real-life Indiana Jones in pursuit of the Bible's most powerful and mysterious artifact, the Ark of the Covenant. Some of the powers, obviously, it's sort of like a war machine. It has the power of destruction where, you know, it could, it could fell the, the walls of Jericho. 
you know, it stopped the waters of the Jordan River and it made it into a wall. There are many other cases where the Ark really was sent out into battle, you know, and it says in the Midrash of the Talmud uh, of the Jewish literature that these sort of beams of, I would say, holy fire would come out and actually destroy scorpions and snakes in front of uh, the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. This podcast is brought to you by Family Bunker Designs. If you believe things are headed in a scary direction these days, then you'll want to listen to this message. Four years ago, John Hartman, a retired military man and certified disaster and survival expert, created the ultimate solution to keep his family safe from danger. He built a family survival bunker. With the advice of experts, he decided to share what he learned and published the ultimate guide to family bunker construction. His designs are highly affordable, yet your family bunker will be safe, well-hidden, and strong enough to withstand almost any disaster or terrorist attack. These days, with so many threats out there, a safe hideout is essential for security. And right now, when you order the Family Bunker Guide, you'll get three bonus survival guides absolutely free. Don't put it off. Get this life-saving information now. Learn more at clearbroadcast.com. That's clearbroadcast.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Had to laugh, we were all watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and this, of course, is uh, where archaeologist adventure Indiana Jones, played by Harrison Ford, for those of you who haven't seen it, there might be two of you on the planet. Anyway, uh, Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before the Nazis get to it. And uh, the running joke, before the Nazis get to it, and the running joke, of course, is that Indiana Jones doesn't actually do anything to stop the Nazis from getting to the Ark and opening it. And then, of course, one of the greatest scenes in movie history where the, where the, it's a delicious moment. The, uh, the Nazis' uh, faces literally melt once they open the Ark because it's so powerful. But the point is that the movie could have been made without Jones even appearing and the outcome would have been exactly the same. I love that movie and I'm also fascinated by the Ark of the Covenant. Always have been. The Ark of the Covenant is a gold-covered wooden chest with a lid described in the book of Exodus as containing the two stone tablets of the Ten Commandments. And according to various texts within the Hebrew Bible, it also contained Aaron's rod, that was Moses' brother, Aaron, and a pot of manna. The biblical account relates that approximately one year after the Israelites' exodus from Egypt, the Ark was created according to the pattern given to Moses by God when the Israelites were encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai. Thereafter, the gold-plated acacia chest was carried by its staves, while en route by the Levites, approximately 2,000 cubits, or 800 meters, in advance of the people when on the march or before the Israelite army. 
The ark was then housed in the Holy of Holies, inside the first Jewish temple built by King Solomon. But the ark disappears off the pages of history. By the time of the Babylonian captivity, nothing in the Bible is said about the ark in the Old Testament after the return from Babylon. However, the Apocrypha states that the ark could not be found when the Jewish people rebuilt the temple at the time of Ezra and Zechariah. The explanation in the Apocrypha was that Jeremiah hid the ark in a cave in Mount Nebo before the Babylonian invasion and that its location would not be revealed by God until he was ready for it to be found. My next guest is hot on the trail of the Ark of the Covenant. Harry Moskoff is the executive producer and writer of the Ark Report, Secret of the Century. He's a Canadian-born investigative archaeologist and managing director of Moskov Media. He's known as the Ark Expert in all matters having to do with the Ark of the Covenant. In fact, the press has dubbed him the real-life Indiana Jones for his research and book on the subject as he travels from Qumran, Jordan, Egypt, and other places to discover and film the location of the Holy Ark and other temple vessels. Rabbi Harry Moskov, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks, Richard. Good to be here. Well, I appreciate Very early you. in the morning. <laughs> yes, it's 6 o'clock in Israel in the morning. I appreciate you getting up. No problem. No problem. My pleasure. Tell me, uh, the ARC Report, the uh, the book uh, that details your your hunt for the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, tell folks, first of all, before we get started, how they can get a hold of that book. Okay, that book uh, is actually available at Barnes & Noble for order. Uh, that's one place, uh, also Amazon online. I appreciate you asking. And it's half price, actually, during this month and probably a lot of next month, February, at a place called Israel365.com for about $25. Uh, they can order it there, or if they happen to be here in Israel, they can stop by. <laughs> Excellent. Now, when we talk about you know the, 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 the holy relics from the, from the Bible, we talk about... Obviously, the the Ark of the Covenant uh, is you know right near the top, and and uh, just give us a little bit of the backstory of uh, when the Ark sort of disappeared from the historical record. Right. Okay. So that disappeared. The Ark disappeared about twenty seven hundred years ago, uh, and there's something that's actually uh, written there. Uh, King Josiah, uh, Yoshia, Yoshia in Hebrew. Uh, I think it's listed there in Chronicles 2, through number 35, chapter 35, talks about that whole scenario, what happened over there, when uh, about 35 years before the destruction of the first temple, King Josiah actually came and uh, took the ark and put it into a special place, a special room that was set out uh, about almost 400 years before that, built by King Solomon, just for that very purpose. I mean, at that time... The Ark and uh, the Temple wasn't being threatened at all by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, the king. It was actually, uh, it wasn't until the last couple years of the first Temple, which lasted 410 years, King Solomon's Temple, that actually, you know, you would have thought, okay, so the king is going to to put that away. And that king at that time was Tzidkiyahu, Tzedekiah, as it says in the scripture there in the Bible. So even before him, it was it was actually hid in this chamber because, as I write in my book, uh, the Jewish people 
we're really not on the spiritual level anymore to, to be able to handle that type of power of holiness. Right. Uh, for example, in the Northern Kingdom, uh, in Israel, uh, they'd given in to the worship of, of Baal and, and uh, had, had fallen away from, uh, from, from God and so forth. Uh, now, the, the contention that, that the Ark was spirited away and is now housed in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, I believe it's in, uh, is it in Axum? Yes. Uh, yeah, back to Ethiopia. Right. Uh, there is that, that theory. It's a, I just did an interview, actually, on the I-24 News here in Israel, uh, basically the only uh, English channel, and they asked me the same question. They said, how is it that, you know, everybody's going there to Axum to this chapel, this church in Axum, Ethiopia, what's really there? And I was telling them about this, you know, exactly what you were saying, Richard, about the, the Temple Mount, first of all, that the Ark has never really moved, at all, and it's been there for, you know, since the beginning, uh, actually not right underneath the Dome of the Rock, which is the conventional opinion, but a little more to the southwest, a little further down the slope uh, of the Temple Mount. But most people think that it is in Ethiopia, and the reason being is because they have this heritage, this legend that says that, uh, you know, King Solomon, when he married the Queen of Sheba, uh, took it over there, uh, when, when the Queen of Sheba actually went back to Africa, to Ethiopia, and uh, he sent a gift. They do have a legend, and I do actually believe that there is something in that church, but it's a replica. It's, it's a duplicate. All of the vessels of the temple were uh, actually put into uh, replicas and duplicates. There were two extra versions of each uh, temple vessel. So this is one of them. The real ark, the golden ark that was made by Moses and Bezalel, is, is, uh, that has the Ten Commandments in it, is still under the Temple Mount. This one is it's sort of like an empty box. It still has power. It's still incredible. But it's not, not the real McCoy, put it that way. All right. So let's, I want you to detail some of the, the powers uh, the miraculous powers that have been ha, have been attributed to the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Well, I mean, you know, this is like the most priceless, and this is why people are so so into this. So, uh, you know, now especially in pop culture, you know, I have a, a Google search for the, uh, an alert for the Ark of the Covenant every single day. People are talking about it in some part of the U.S. or Canada or other parts of the world. One of the reasons is because of this incredible, it's, it's the most priceless, indestructible, man-made artifact uh, ever made. And so some of the powers, obviously it's sort of like a war machine, I guess you could say. Uh, it has the power of uh, destruction where, you know, it could, it could sell the, the walls of Jericho. I mean, it took seven days, but still. Uh, it, you know, it stopped the waters of the Jordan River, and it made it into a wall. There are many other cases where the Ark really was sent out into battle. You know, it had the staves, the two staves, and it says in the Midrash of the Talmud uh, of the Jewish literature that these sort of beams of, I would say, holy fire would come out and actually destroy scorpions and snakes in front of uh, the Israelites in the desert for 40 years. And they would see these huge carcasses, it says, of, of scorpions, uh, birds. 
on the side. You know, on the side, like a bow and arrow. It's just a bow, huge, scary creatures. And uh, the Ark would take care of it. In fact, the Ark was so powerful, it says the Torah, the Bible actually says that it should, be, it should walk about almost a kilometer before the rest of the Jewish people. It also had other functions that are less known, uh, like a medium for prophecy. Uh, Moses actually got his prophecy through the staves, through the uh, cherubim, the cherubim, the angels. They were on the cover of the, uh, of the ark, often called the mercy seat. Right. Uh, so the actually the the divine effulgence, I guess you could say, a communication came from the clouds of glory down uh, to the tabernacle, to the holy of holies, and through the ark to Moses and to every other prophet. So that's one of the reasons, actually, why the prophecy ended at the end of the first temple period. Ah, because they didn't have the direct telephone line to uh, the big guy upstairs. <laughs> Interesting. Yes, yes, amazing, actually, yeah. And you had to be a Levite in order to approach the Ark, correct? Why is that? Yes, that's correct. Well, the Levites had a, uh, or a Levite, had a very special job. And uh, a, a part of that tribe, in Hebrew called the Kohanim, the priests, had the job of carrying the Ark and uh, serving God in the tabernacle. It still holds today. Uh, the same thing. Uh, we're, uh, my family is actually a priest called the Kohanim. Uh, we're from that tribe, uh, Levite tribe. It was picked by God. This tribe, out of, the, out of all the tribes, was picked to serve God, not to have a Nachalah, as it says in Hebrew, not to have a portion of, of Israel, but instead to serve God in the tabernacle, in the temple, to teach the Torah, etc., so in, throughout history, Levites have been uh, traditionally the teachers, the rabbis, etc., of the Torah. And uh, they sort of took over that role after the sin of the golden calf, where the firstborn was supposed to serve God in the tabernacle. Now, uh, after that, God actually said, you know what, we're taking that away, because the only, the only tribe that did not serve, did not worship the golden calf, was the Levite tribe, and so that was that's our reward. <laughs> right, and and Moses' brother Aaron was a was a exactly. Levite, correct? All right. Yes, he and, was a Levite, and he was he was made into the Kohen Gadol to the high priest. And if you weren't a Levite, you wouldn't be in this game because you wouldn't be able to approach the Ark. If you tried, it would kill you. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could be blunt and say it like that. That's true. I mean. Uh, there are other people that have tried to get, it's not just being a Levite, it's actually being a Kohen, a priest as well. There are other rabbis that have gone, that have come close with incredible stories that I write in my book about how they went through Warren's Gate underneath the, the Western Wall tunnels and tried to get in uh, underneath the Temple Mount and the ground started shaking. Incredible stories. But they also had to had to really worry for their lives, and what, that's one of the reasons that the Ark has a special sort of capability. It seems to know who's surrounding it, who's in the, in the immediate, immediate vicinity, and whether that person has permission, as it were, to be there. And if not, then it's for sure, it's a physical, it's a major danger, physically and spiritually. What's it made out of? 
Well, it's made out of a combination of gold and wood. The inner box, the innermost box, uh, well, is, is really surrounded. It's, it's acacia wood, type of cedar wood. And uh, then it's surrounded by gold. That box, the chest part, is surrounded on the inside and the outside with gold, plated. And that's stuck into a gold box. Inside that are the two stone tablets of the, you know, the Ten Commandments. And also the broken tablets that Moses broke uh, at the time of the golden calf, uh, as well as a Sefer Torah, a, a, a Deuteronomy. Moses actually wrote down in his own handwriting, Deuteronomy, and that is all the Talmud says is that's also in the Ark of the Covenant. And there's two poles, and it's, uh, there's, a, uh, I guess, what you could say, a mercy seat, which is the Ark cover with the two cherubim, the two angels on top made out of solid gold. It has been speculated that the Ark gets its power, uh, and as you say, it was taken by the Israelites into battle. Uh, it was t- to protect them as they wandered through the uh, the desert. Uh, that it gets its power because it is essentially a a very powerful capacitor or battery. What do you what do you think of that theory? Well, you know, I deal with that. <clears throat> I deal with that also in my book. There is a scientific theory that's been proven by engineers all the way, you know, going back to the thirties. Papers that have been written by professors of engineering. Uh, all over, whether in Germany, all over the world, about this idea about being a supercapacitor, and it really sort of works in a in a in a way. It, there's something called the Leyden jar, and it deals with uh, positives and negatives, and uh, how the 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 uh, wings of the angels of the Shrubim act as uh, these these different uh, polar axes, and and how you know the whole thing works. And it really could be. It could be that type of, you know, superconductor and holding this incredible, like, brimming over with this electrostatic energy. That could be, because one of the places that it was put, it was constantly being recharged, as it were. You know, this place on the Temple Mount, it sits on this rock on the, the foundation stone in the Holy of Holies, which is one of the fo- focal points, the vortexes, uh, the three major vortexes on the Earth, uh, where the earth, where electromagnetic energy runs through to the top. That's one of the places. Another one is the Giza, the Great Pyramid. The Giza Pyramid and the Egyptians knew this and used to, you know, it has great preservation powers, etc. Many people have gone into that uh, pyramid and felt something, uh, some type of energy in Mishu Pishu, uh, also in Peru. Uh, that's That's another place. I have a bunch of places listed there. Very interesting stuff. So this ark has been sitting in its charger, if you will, for 2,700 years. <laughs> it's a long time to be charged. <laughs> right. But if you, you know, not everybody believes in that theory, but if you, if, you, if you like a scientific explanation, then yeah, that would sort of make sense in a way, uh, going that route. And, and, you know, it really is ready at any time. It's there as we speak right now, just like it was before we part of my work, Richard, to, to bring that to the people, to inspire people and say, you know what, this stuff really, <clears throat> excuse me, really exists. Temple vessels are right here in Israel and where they, they can be found, etc. And it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's an uphill battle, in a way, because biblical archaeology here in Israel is, it's 
it's obviously political. You can't get away from that, especially at the Temple Mount Park and where these things are. Uh, FT1, which is French TV, a huge channel in Europe, called me as well last week and said they were interested in this new do, uh, God willing, a Jew. Uh, oh, you're, you're cutting off. Sorry, down. sorry, Rabbi, you're cutting off a little bit. Let me just uh, wait a second. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's see. Hold on a second. Maybe I'll get a little bit closer here to okay. the to the source. All right. So, just mentioned that you were contacted by the French TV channel last week. Yes, I was contacted by FT1, uh, the biggest channel I think uh, in Europe. They they're interested in doing a show about where these vessels, the temple vessels, ended up. There are three or four places in Jerusalem where these temple vessels uh, ended up at the end of the day, and I proved that in my book, etc. And one of these places, we actually have the, the key, I have a permit until May 1st, to excavate for the very first time. So they want to do this story, and of course it's very political, and uh, especially what's happening right now, Mike Pence is in town, the VP, and uh, luckily, we have a very regular government, and there's a lot of people uh, interested that would love to see this happen. But on the other side, you know, it's, a, it's an uphill battle against uh, other forces, I guess, and other, other people that really don't want, you know, the leftist, the liberal, you know, uh, side of, of the media here in Israel, etc. They prefer not this not to happen. The anti-religious, uh, yeah, the anti-religious faction, they don't want right. anything, any archaeological find that would support the veracity of the biblical narrative. Is that the idea? Yes, Richard, that's right on the money. Unfortunately, that's, that's what I have to battle against, as it were, and other people that, you know, I have a, an, an article coming out, actually, in the Jerusalem Report magazine uh, in another two weeks, uh, talking about that very issue, the fact that, you know, the, the left and the anti-religious, uh, Jewish and non-Jewish, here, especially in Israel and other places as well, really prefer that not to be found because they don't want to, they don't want the connection, the Jewish connection to Israel and Jerusalem. They don't want it to be promoted or strengthened. And if we find any of these vessels, it would for sure, you know, go against UNESCO, for instance, and go against all these other, um, you know, the Arabs, the, the Palestinian Authority, etc., that are trying to deny and rewrite history, as it were. So they don't want to see that, yeah. In other words, deny that there ever was a temple there on that location. But these vessels that you're right. talking about, uh, that you're that you're trying to uh, to locate, these would be from the second temple, correct? Or would they be from Solomon's temple? Well, there are some locations that are from the second temple, actually, when the Romans uh, sacked Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and took the vessels back to Rome, and Vespasian uh, had some of them uh, there. Some of them ended up in the, uh, in the Vatican, the seat of the Kohen Gadol, which is the, head, the golden head plate that the high priest wore, and the parochet, the curtain, that's still there in the Vatican. I have first-hand accounts of that in my book and um, other places. The other, the other thing is that the, when actually 400 years later, the Rome was sacked by the Vandals and Visigoths, so they, the, all those vessels moved to Carthage, and then from there to Constantinople, which is Stidian, 
uh, who was a very religious Christian, and uh, he brought the vessels over to present-day Istanbul. And there's a whole, about a thousand years ago, there's a whole story, and it's actually documented uh, uh, historical accounts of how those uh, temple vessels were there in Istanbul and were sailed back here to Jerusalem about a thousand years ago in this church uh, called the Mia Church. The question is, where is this church? And, and he sent it back because his Jewish advisors apparently told him that anybody who holds on to the Jewish vessels, the temple vessels, the empire goes down eventually, and he himself, his life is in danger, the, the ruler. And of course, you see that throughout. Um, so my task was to find where that is, and I think I, I have, to be honest. And uh, so that's one that's one, one of the places that we're looking at digging. Uh, the, most of the vessels come from the Second Temple period, and there are some, believe it or not, from the first. Now, you, you mentioned uh, the Christians, and, and uh, there is something, and Mike Pence, uh, Vice President right. of the United States in town, and he's an uh, evangelical Christian, and there is something you know called the resolution of all things in the Bible, and part of that, my understanding is, is a is a reconciliation among among Christians and Jews, uh, and and we're starting to see this certainly uh, with President Trump recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, uh, and confirming that he will move the the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And of right. course, uh, uh, your Prime Minister Netanyahu is just uh, over the moon with his announcement and and um, you know, yeah. re- welcoming uh, Christians. He, he, he's referring to Christians as his Christians, Christian brothers and sisters, to come to Israel, and he will personally give them a tour and so forth. And your uh, among your 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 biggest supporters are the evangelical Christians. Why is that? That's right. That's right. That's a very good point, and, and I very much appreciate it, and I have to thank them for their, their support. Uh, they go to my website, which, by the way, is uh, harryhmoskoff.net, and they write me um, letters, and they're very, very supportive. Uh, I think that one of the reasons is I, uh, I'm part of uh, Breaking Israel News. I write for this website that very much uh, reaches out to that audience, I myself have many Christian friends, uh, evangelical friends, and I work sometimes with uh, people in the City of David, excavations, and there's a theory going around that the temple was in the City of David uh, amongst many Christians. And the City of David is is really struggling with this concept because tourists are coming, and we've had record, record tourism, thank God, this past year, and they're really struggling, struggling with this fact, and, and the Christians are, many, many thousands of Christians are, are taken into this uh, theory, thinking that the Temple Mount was just a parading ground for Roman troops, and uh, the real temples existed on the side of the Temple Mount, the south side of the Temple Mount in the city of David. And my, my book disproves that. And I actually, uh, many people have called me to try and reach out to Christians and tell them, look, this theory is not true. A lot of his scriptural, a lot of these sources are taken out of context, etc. And Ir David was changed actually later on to Mount Zion, the present day Mount Zion, where King David is buried, amongst other Judean kings, uh, etc. 
it was moved because the ark was held there uh, towards the latter part of uh, King David's life. So I reach out to Christians. I appreciate their support to try and guide them and everybody, for that matter, as a rabbi uh, coming from a Jewish perspective, a, a religious Jewish Torah perspective, and say, look, you know, we can do this together. We can, you know, after so many centuries of hate and bloodshed, and you know, we are. I think that the world is is coming together. And uh, it's a very, very exciting time, difficult, but exciting. And, and so that's part of my job, uh, to bring out what's really going on, the truth of where the Ark is, where these temples are, uh, where they existed, where the vessels are, and and letting everybody know about it. And I really appreciate it. I'm, not too, I'm really not too sure <laughs> why they, they really support me much, much more than anybody else. Uh, including my Jewish brethren, but they're inspired, and they're inspired about Israel, uh, and I really appreciate that uh, in many ways. Well, part, obviously part of the reason for evangelicals, I would think, is that finding the Ark, finding some of these other temple vessels, uh, would be crucial in the construction of a third temple, which has to happen according to the Christian tradition, uh, before the return of the Messiah, or what we would call the second coming. That's right. Yes, absolutely. That makes sense. And that's part of the Messiah's job, actually. He has three, according to Rambam, which is uh, Maimonides, he actually writes in the Jewish Code of Law that the Messiah has three things to do before uh, the resurrection of the dead, this whole new period that's going to come afterwards where the presence of God is really dwelling again on earth like it was in the Garden of Eden, and it was, uh, you know, when we had the temples, etc. So one of the ways of, of discerning who the Messiah is, the Rambam writes, uh, is that is, is, is he has three jobs to do. One, and, and I, you know, the order is disputed amongst the sages, the Jewish sages, but uh, essentially he has three jobs to do. One of them is to build the, the temple on the Temple Mount, or on that mountain, put it that way, because in, in Zachariah, uh, Zachariah, it really talks about uh, all these cataclysmic events, the Mount of Olives splitting into two, etc. But in that area, put it that way, uh, he has to fight the wars of Israel to get rid of a nation called Amalek, which is like the Nazis. Uh, present day, uh, Hezbollah or Hamas would say, anybody who wants to blow themselves up like a suicide bomber would qualify just because, you know, we're Jewish. People like that have to be eradicated in order for the temple to come. And uh, the third one is to bring back all the Jewish people, uh, like you were mentioning, Richard, uh, into, back into Israel. It's a daunting task <laughs> uh, because, you know, Jewish people in America, well, you know, there's a saying, what's harder, to get the Jew out of America or the America out of the Jew? Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yes, because let's, uh, many, uh, many Jews in, in North America uh, are, I guess you, you would say, nominal Jews. I mean, they, they're not religious Jews right. necessarily. Right, and they don't have an attachment, uh, unfortunately. After the Holocaust, many became non-religious, the survived, the ones those who, who survived, the European Jews. The ones, the Sephardi Jews from these lands, the Middle East and Syria and Turkey, Spain, Morocco, etc., they uh, generally remained religious, 
Uh, although there was a falling out, definitely, when they came here to Israel, they had to go to the army, the birth of the nation, etc., uh, 70 years ago. But because most of the Jewish people, by far, are not religious, so that, you know, they don't really identify with Israel so much as uh, it's not in their consciousness. Right. And I think that that's part of my own opinion, uh, backed up by a, a, a big sage called the Arizal, the uh, Yitzhak Luria, who lived in the 15th, 16th century. He says that this generation, before the coming of the Messiah, is actually a reincarnation of those Jews, the Israelites, that left Egypt. And what's our job? What's our tikkun, our, our uh, rectification? Our rectification in this generation is to come to Israel. You know, the sin of the spies back way back then, you know, 3,300 years ago, 3,337, I think, to be exact, um, years ago. So they didn't come into, into Israel, the, the Jews that were wandering in the desert. They all died in the desert because they didn't desire uh, to come here. They wanted to stay in the desert. They had their reasons, etc. And they, they all passed away, except for, of course, Caleb and, and Joshua. This generation, our duty, our test, as it were, is to want and to fight and to show God, you know what, we want it. We want it, we're going to fight. Uh, we're going to do what it takes to keep Israel, to keep Jerusalem united, and that's why this Pence visit and Jerusalem being you know, recognized as the capital of Israel for the first time uh, in 70 years is a huge deal. Another big deal, Harry, is internet security. And internet security experts keep telling us we should use a different password for every website. But think about that. That's a nightmare, keeping track of all of those passwords for shopping and banking and email and everything else. And while long, complicated passwords are far more secure, they're also very hard to remember. Well, here's a great solution. It's called RoboForm. You never need to remember or type a password ever again. RoboForm gives you stronger passwords and faster logins, all with a single click. It keeps all your devices in sync. And when you shop online, RoboForm fills in those long address forms again with one click. It's available for Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android for personal or business use. And for peace of mind, RoboForm has around-the-clock support. It's one great solution for online security. Learn more at OneGreatSolution.com. That's OneGreatSolution.com. If there's one thing money can't buy, it's sanity. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Rabbi Harry Moskoff, author of The Ark Report, is with us. I'm confused as to why... Uh, if the Ark is essentially right where Solomon left it, yeah, uh, it's it's hiding in plain sight. Is it is that chamber? Is it sealed off, uh, or are there people who could go down and look at it right now? Uh, it's it's a good question. Uh, it is in fact sealed off. There are people that can go down there. I mean, people ask me, and I was interviewed last week, why don't you go down there? You know where it is, and you prove it pretty effectively in your book. And I know where four of the openings are to the Temple Mount, the tunnels underneath. There are over 50 tunnels underneath the Temple Mount. Uh, but uh, as an investigative archaeologist, I, I actually identify four of these entrances that are possible, uh, you know, if I get the proper permits, etc., 
and uh, we could go, technically, it's possible to go in there if I were to theoretically get all these permits. The problem is, it's not, in, it's not like it's just sitting there, you know, it would be covered with three layers of skins, by the way, of, of coverings, but it's actually in a room. It's in a chain. This is what people didn't realize. The Knights Templar with the Crusaders, all the people that were there during the Middle Ages and afterwards searching for the Ark, and even more recently, 100 years, 150 years ago, with the Palestine Exploration Fund, uh, Charles Warren, etc. They were looking for this golden chest when they should have been looking for a room. It's a chamber. They could, they could have come right up to the wall, but behind that wall is the ark, and, and it's on a golden floor, the same golden floor that was in the Holy of Holies, but it was lowered down uh, from the first temple into this chamber underneath, directly below the Holy of Holies uh, to the southwest of the Dome of the Rock. So people should be looking. If I were to go down there uh, and get into that chamber, uh, get into those tunnels, it would be, I would say, okay, look, here's a wall. This looks like a wall, a cavern, a cave, you know, wall. I'll bet, you know, I'd be willing to bet that, you know, I'd take the proper instrumentation if I don't feel it already, that the great holiness is there. Um, that, yeah, the, the ark is behind that wall. And, and people just have to find a way to get in behind that wall. Yeah. Who controls those tunnels? Under whose jurisdiction do they fall? Well, that's part of the problem. <laughs> um Everything above the Temple Mount, the daily jurisdiction is the Jordanian walks, the Palestinian-controlled. Uh, you know, they, they sort of have uh, control over the daily uh, comings and goings of the Temple Mount. What's underneath the Temple Mount, the tunnels, uh, the whole thing is under Israeli sovereignty in general, but the tunnels uh, technically come to the Israeli authorities, the, you know, um, Israel Antiquities Authority, etc. And there are archaeologists that I work with that have those keys, that have the entrances that could go under there to the cisterns, and that's one of the tours that I'd like to go on next, to be honest, and, and get under there. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't have to be this secret thing. And then, you know, when, when we actually do go and get it, it doesn't have to be the secret thing, you know, that's underneath the radar. It should really be, uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe says this, a great sage that lived uh, about 20 years ago. He said, when we do come out with the Ark, it should be with great joy. It should be, it doesn't have to be something that's, you know, stuck out and then stuck in the Smithsonian somewhere. It should be with great joy. It's a redemption. It's, a, it's an incredible process. It's the coming of the Messiah. So when we do get there, uh, I think it'll be... It'll be above board. Question is, we have to want it. <laughs> well, how many really how many what, miles are there? Miles of tunnels under the under the uh, the Temple Mount. Well, the Temple Mount itself is is quite large. It's about uh, two or three football fields, and it's it's really uh, you know the tunnels underneath do there's three or four at least layers of of it's like a maze, you know there's floors three or four floors of caverns. And uh, so you have to, you know, they're all winding, and they're yeah, sure. There's kilometers if you go, if you go all the way around. There's a yeah, it's a couple kilometers. It's well, really. Have you massive. been able to locate the precise location? I mean, down to the foot where this thing is. I would say down to about twenty meters. 
about 20 meters square or so. And how were you able uh, to do and, that? How were you able to piece that together? Well, one of the, one of the chedushim, like I say in Hebrew, the novelties of my work is that it's coming from a almost strictly Jewish back, uh, sources. In other words, it's not just that I'm going and exploring Indiana Jones type of thing, which I love doing anyway, but it's actually taking, as a rabbi, taking these sources from the Talmud and the Midrash and the Torah, of course, the Bible, the Old Testament, as they say, and other sources that are more obscure, uh, going all the way back 2,000 years and finding out what these sages wrote that were there, that lived in Israel at that time, that actually brought up, brought up sacrifices on the Temple Mount, built an altar, uh, you know, a thousand years ago, and what they saw and what they, what they did, and, and going and taking from those sources and saying, you know what, as well, of course, as, as archaeological sources, topographical, uh, I bring down all kinds of different uh, sources about the aqueducts, how the water had to get uh, to the different mikvahs, the different ritual baths that were in the temple. It couldn't, couldn't have been at the, the Dome of the Rock, where the Dome of the Rock is, because that rock that's in the dome, according to my findings, is simply the summit. It's the, it's the stone that represents the summit of, of Mount Moriah. The temple must have been on a lower level, where it says that the threshing floor that King David bought from Aroda, the, the Jebusite, the Jebusite, as he said, Hebrew. So he, that was a little further to the south, a little lower. And I proved to all these different proofs the way the original topographical layout of Mount Moriah back then, you know, thousands of years ago, was, was very, very different than today, and, and how the temples must have been there as such, and, what, and the rock structure beneath the temple, it must be that the, the Holy of Holies and the Mizbeach, which is the altar, were to the southwest of what we have today, of, of the Dome of the Rock. And uh, now I actually have a lot of big rabbis, big rabbis that are on side with this theory, which I really appreciate. Now, if the uh, the ark were you would uncover the uncover the ark, you wouldn't put it in a museum. I mean, because it it is believed uh, to be essential, obviously, for the construction of the third temple. And if that were to were to occur. But to build a third temple on the Temple Mount, that could start World War III, couldn't it? 100%. It would. This is something that we're grappling with. This is something that they asked me on FT1 also, on, on TV. Uh, you know, the, the difference is, with this theory, and the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Lau, David Lau, also agrees with this, and he said so on Knesset television, that my theory dictates that the temple would be located in between the two mosques, between the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. In theory, okay, it would not touch the other two uh, mosques. Although, just to, to, you know, taking, I 100% agree with you, Richard, that it wouldn't be proper to, to bring out the Ark and put it in the Smithsonian, or make it a Smithsonian. That's for sure. The only place for it, and the only, I don't think that God, in my opinion, would allow the Ark to go, you know, this is his primary vessel, like it belongs to him, uh, as opposed to like the menorah, the candelabra, the other vessels, which were different. This, the Ark itself is like God's own instrument. So he's not going to really go into, you know, <laughs> into a museum 
it would definitely be a catalyst. That's for sure. And, and the it's written in other writings of Jewish uh, Jewish um, in the Torah, basically, that this is what would happen if the Ark is found. It would be a catalyst to bring the Messiah, and it would it would actually cause the building of the third temple, at least to house it, at the very least, which is in its proper place. Right. And it would cause, of course, a cataclysmic change, and it will. It will. The question is, the world has to be ready, and the Jewish people, we ourselves have to be ready uh, to, to, do a, to make a fight like that. We have to want it. Right, and for because Christians, we, for 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 Christians who subscribe to sort of end times eschatology, once yeah. once the ark is uncovered, the the third temple is built, the countdown clock begins. Right. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that it's already begun in many ways. We have a hard time seeing it in this generation uh, because you know everything is seemingly unfolding in a very natural way. But there are things that are happening behind the scenes. Uh, I, you know, my work, I think, may be you know, one of them in a way, uh, and I'm honored to try and do this. But people, you know, the bad and the good are coming out, and, and people are, gonna, are making, you know, as before, before it was sort of blurred, you have the left, you have the right, you have, now it's more, people can see what's right and wrong, you know, uh, that the, the Jews have an historical right to Israel. And UNESCO can't just take that away, and the Arabs can't just take that away. Whereas before, in the era, like even 10 years ago, or like Obama administration, it was a given. Okay, look, they're going to do whatever they want, and it's up to the UN, etc. Now we can see, and, and people can see that when we find these vessels, it's slowly starting. People are slowly starting to like a grassroots type of thing, I find, about, certainly amongst the Christians and the Jews here in Israel, where people are sort of waking up in a way. And they're saying, and, and you see this with the excavations of the city of David, things that were being found now all over Israel. And people are sort of having this religious awakening, I think, in a way. And it's very, it's, had, it's happening, the current, the thread is happening underneath this, sort of the undercurrent is coming up to the surface. Right. And yes, I, I feel that. And I, I, I know, feel it too. I feel it too. Uh, um, are you waiting for a, is there a sign? Are you waiting for some sort of a sign that now is the time to to move ahead with this and go down into the catacombs and and locate the ark? Well, I I don't think we call it a sign. Um I think that what has to happen I'll give you an example. Uh part of this article coming out is about Mount Zion. Mount Zion is 85% owned right now by the Greek Orthodox Church and the Vatican. Um, there's only a small part that's owned by this uh, yeshiva, this Talmudic uh, learning you know, uh, uh, seminary and yeshiva on, the, on that uh, mountain, on Hartzian. So there, Mount Zion, you have this idea where you know, King David is buried there, etc., and he really is. Um, not exactly where his tomb is, but anyway, in that area. And people ask me, because that's where, another one of the tunnels where I know the entrances to that tunnel to go in and how to get under there. And of course, there's King David's, you know, people who want to see that, his crown, etc. And there's treasures there too, for those who like to call it that. But people ask me, why don't you just go down there? And then you can see it would be incredible going down there and, and seeing, uh, you know, and filming it. 
uh, the treasures of King David. And, and, and the answer, I say, and this is true, I think, with the Ark and the other vessels as well. Um, I wouldn't call it a sign, but when, what's going to happen when, if and when we find it is that it's going to cause a lot of infighting for the Jews. It's, you know, what Jewish sect is going to say it belongs to us you know, that King David's uh, treasures belong to us, and, you know, this part of Mount Zion belongs to us, and, it's, and then another sect uh, is going to say it belongs to us, and the Arabs, of course, are going to say it's all fake. And it's going to cause, you know, it, we have to be in a place, Richard, where we have to be holding as a people, uh, where we really, we're, we're willing to over, overcome all of these silly uh, differences, and say, you know what, we're gonna, we want Mashiach to come, we want the Messiah to come, we, we really want him to come. No matter who he is, no matter what he's wearing, no matter what he looks like, <laughs> no matter where he comes from, we really want these vessels to come out, and we don't care who it belongs to, you know? And we have to want it that badly, and I don't know if you can call that as what, what has to happen. I know that, unfortunately, when Israel goes to war, you know, if, if something would happen, heaven forbid, with Iran, or, the, you know, these existential threats, we become united as a people, and it's, we're extremely powerful, Israel, and the miracles happen. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe God wants, maybe God wants the Ark uh, to be used to defend Israel against Iran. It could be. It could be. I write about that, that, you know, people say, look, we need this, we know, Let's get the authority, let's get the government's, you know, permission from the, and, and the government knows. I've written to them, I've been in touch with the Prime Minister's office, uh, my own findings and where they may be, and the Arabs also know, for that matter, Palestinian Authority. They know exactly some of the titles down there, and, you know, they're afraid to get it, which is a good thing, and they rightfully so. But, uh, yeah, you know, if, if there is a war... Theoretically, we could bring it out into the open, onto the Temple Mount, and it would be a huge, like it was back then, you know, 3,000 years ago, it would be a huge catalyst for the victory of Israel, uh, that's for sure. Well, I have to be honest, uh, Rabbi, I mean, the, the, the power of the Ark is so mighty, and symbolically what it represents uh, is, you know, is so spectacular, but it is, mm-hmm. uh, you know... It, I'm almost I'm I'm, I'm fearful <laughs> of of it, of its power Good. and uh, Good. as we should, <laughs> be, should be as we should be <laughs> so here. so I'm um, I'm kind of torn but uh, I guess ultimately as uh, as a Bible believing Christian uh, I I believe you know we we have to we have to uh, um, we have to find it we have to get it up above ground and and get it into that temple and and uh, let the countdown clock begin I suppose but that's all God's will. Yeah. And uh, right. I, th- I thank you again for, for all of your time and, and especially getting up so early in the morning in Israel. Again, give us uh, the <laughs> website and how we can sure. uh, get a copy of the ARC report. Yeah, okay. It, uh, you can get it through the website as well. It's uh, www.harryhroskoff.net. There you can also see the films that I've done, the documentaries of where the temple vessels are, are to be found, the map, etc., which is fascinating. And um, Barnes & Noble, Barnes & Noble has the book, and Amazon, etc. Uh, Israel 365, which is a, a site that reaches out to Christians. There it's on sale. Uh, as well as, they can write to me. Uh, people can write to me. 
at uh, Harry Boscoff, care of the ARC Report project, uh, Post Office Box, P.O. Box 400, Beit Shemesh, Israel. Uh, that's uh, P.O. Box 400, Beit Shemesh, uh, two words, Israel. And I, I, I always answer, uh, people can email me as well, the email's on the website, and I'll gladly answer the questions. Uh, I, when you did my interview for Coast to Coast, I have to tell you, and thank you for that, Richard. I, it was weeks, <laughs> weeks of emails inundated, maybe 20 a day, and I'm still getting them. Terrific. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, going to get you back you on. I, I love this stuff, yeah, obviously. Well, I'm going to get you back on Coast to Coast uh, soon. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Uh, and I, it's always great to talk with you, Richard, at any time of the day. <laughs> Likewise. Or night. Well, God bless you, Harry. And uh, I'm, I, uh, I, one of these days, I'm going to take you up on your offer, and I'm going to bring the family uh, over to Israel. It is certainly on our list. Great. You're always welcome. Everybody is. Everybody, no matter what background, should come and make a pilgrimage. It's a very inspirational place. It's not what they say necessarily in the media. It really is not a war zone. <laughs> it's a great beautiful, a spiritual place. Uh, we welcome you. All right. Thank you again. Thanks. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I want to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. But before that, let me remind you about our weekly contest that draws every Friday. All you need to do to qualify is rate and review this podcast. Take a screenshot of that and then email it to me at Richard Serrett one at gmail.com. Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, the numeral one at gmail.com. Every Friday I'll draw and you'll have a chance to win a collection of my Strange Planet feature on CD. Now let me ask you, is weight loss on your wish list? Unfortunately, the commitment to weight loss often fades. Many people simply give up in the first 90 days. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes. And hypnotherapy can make all the difference. Now, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out weight loss hypnotherapy right now at smartclicksavings.com. That's smartclicksavings.com. Coming up on the next episode of Conspiracy Unlimited, UFOs and the White House. What did U.S. presidents know, and when did they know it? with guest Bill Burns. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>